It's great to be back in God's house. Always good to come into God's presence and to be with God's people. And I just want to say how grateful I am for for um, the body and for um, just you all who've made us feel so welcome and and part of the body. We've we're going on two years that we've been back from overseas. Um, and about, let's see, a year and a few months of actually being on staff here at Solid Rock with such a great team and being with Pastor Don and Pastor Sue and Pastor Sean and Pastor Dana. You guys are awesome. Thank you for welcoming us into this team, into this fellowship. And so we're just grateful. Eve and I are grateful. And I want to give a shout out to my wife, Eve, who, by the way, just passed her licensure exam for to be a, a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of California. So <laughs> awesome. Yeah. It's been a nine-year journey we were counting, and that's taken us to, um, and her, from counseling in missionaries in Tajikistan, counseling missionaries and Christian workers and Syrian refugees in Turkey, and then in a little bit in Chico, doing the same, a little, and some here, and all of that has added up to her being, uh, having the, the satisfaction now of being done with this season and moving on to the next, and God is good, so we're, we're so grateful, so grateful for you. Amen. Well, we're going to continue um, the series on uh, building healthy relationships, and we're going to talk about four keys today. Pastor did an awesome job last week of introducing us to um, relationships, building strong relationships, and talked about the church as a model and, and so many things. And we're, we're going to just kind of uh, key in on or take four keys to building healthy relationships today. And um, oftentimes we, we expect real transformation to happen or some kind of change to happen as a result of teaching or insight, getting some kind of new knowledge. And is this usually true? Usually not so true. Usually that just, just as a result of information, we don't see the change that we want to see simply as a result of acquiring new knowledge and information. So I, in terms of how do we take that into our relationships, I, I know that often we can take a passive re- approach to our relationships. We think, well, if I just a- acquire new information or learn something new or go to this workshop or that seminar, uh, I'll be, our relationship will be better, will be changed. Our marriage will be better. That, that relationship's going to change. But uh, it's interesting. I found these statistics on, um, online, and it talks about how after six months, and how much information, how much, how much uh, learning an adult uh, person will retain after six months. So this is interesting. After, if it's simply lecture, 5% is all they retain after six months. 10% if they've done some reading with that. Audiovisual, if they've included that, that's 20% re- uh, retention. So that's getting a little better. But it really jumps up when you start looking at discussion in groups and reflection, learning from others, 50% retention. 
And then if you go to practice by doing, wow, it goes up 75% of retention, what I learned, retaining what I learned. Practice by doing. And then if you go to teaching someone else, 90%, 90%. In other words, uh, whoever is teaching or preaching today is learning more than anyone else in this room. So, <laughs> so I'm a fellow learner and, and growing with you. And um, so here's the thing, and I, talk, I thought about this in terms of our, our, our launch date into September and going to, to moving toward uh, more life groups and more meeting more often. And so we're shooting for a uh, meeting, our life groups meeting twice a month instead of once a month. We're, we're looking to multiply. We already have new facilitators, new hosts uh, who have, are opening up their homes, people in the pipeline who want to get plugged in. And so when you think about life groups and, and that, the direction we're heading as a body in terms of just really pushing that as, as a way to connect, uh, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it, when you look at these statistics? When you think about what Pastor has said about growing in circles rather than rows, it makes a lot of sense that, that we should be gathering in circles if we want to grow, if we want to see that, that true growth happen in our lives. lives. And so, and then, you know, no wonder Jesus says in, jo- in John chapter 13, verse 17, after he demonstrates, shows his disciples what, how to serve by washing his disciples' feet. He says, what? Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I don't know you, about you, but I want to be blessed. I want to have the blessing of God upon my life. And this tells me that blessing comes with practice. It comes with doing. It comes with actually taking steps to serve in some way. So, moving beyond simply acquiring knowledge or information and taking that, that step to actually practice what God has for us. And so this is going to be today a little bit more, uh, I heard someone say after early service, I liked the workshop. So maybe it'll be a little more of a workshop feel for you. I don't know today, but uh, anyways, we're going to get a little, we're going to get we're going to get practical, and, and hopefully you'll take away a couple, a step or two that you want to, as a takeaway that you want to go and implement today in terms of your relationships. Um, the Carnegie Technical, Technological Institute has stated that 90% of all people who fail in their life's vocation fail because they cannot get along with people. I don't know about you, but I've seen that on the teams that I've been a part of in my life overseas of serving in, on what well, doesn't matter, whether it's uh, in business or on missionary teams or, or in a church or outside the church. It doesn't matter. I think that statistic pretty much is across the board how, how um, things stand or fall, how success stands or falls on, on relationship. And when they fail, it it's pretty damaging, it's hurtful, it's, it's hard, it's difficult. And, um, and I think that probably could be applied, that 90% is probably, whether we look at the ho- our homes, our marriages, um, not getting along with people is a big reason why a lot of us seem or feel like we've failed. But so it brings us to the question, what are some keys? What are some keys to getting along with people so we can experience stronger and more meaningful relationships. How many of you would like stronger and more meaningful relationships in your lives? I'm, amen. I would too. And I'm, and I'm an introvert. So, <laughs> so I, I want that for my own life. 
I know that uh, I can, without it, I feel isolated, I feel defeated. Relationships, aren't, isn't it funny how one thing can happen in a relationship and the whole world kind of just kind of seems to go bleak sometimes, doesn't it? There's this kind of this hopeless feel. I don't know about you, but that's how I get sometimes. One thing. And God is saying this is an opportunity for growth today, not an opportunity for despair. An opportunity to learn and grow and to overcome. And uh, so I hope this can be a reminder for us. Something that, that, that stirs up hope. Um, thinking about do-it-yourself projects. We, we were considering um, painting... Uh, the exterior of our house. Never done it before. Never painted the whole, a whole house exterior. Done some in, indoor painting and stuff. But never done that. Someone said, don't do it out there. <laughs> well, I'm glad you said that because we d- ended up not doing it. Um, we ended up k- just looking at it. You know, when you have a, we, from every angle, we looked at it and, and decided that it just wasn't our thing. <laughs> so, so, but you need, when you do a do-it-yourself project, and we've done quite a few of those, you need a what? You need to define that project. You need to know what it entails. You need a game plan, how you're going to accomplish that, in what way, in what time frame. You need a time. When? When is this going to be accomplished by? Um, so you need, of course, the supplies. You need the tools. And, uh, and so there's a lot of things you need to consider as you look at a project from every angle. So we looked at it from all different angles. I just got, basically got to the research part of it and decided, okay, that's, it's not, not for now, not for now. We've got too much on our plates. But what if we were to approach relationships with this kind of intentionality? Um, and I think if we do, there are four keys that we want to highlight today for you that may help as we seek to have deeper and more meaningful relationships in our lives. First of all, we want to partner with God. I know it seems obvious, um, but we, I don't know about you, but oftentimes I feel like I, I'm getting out there in my own strength. I think I don't realize that I have resources beyond what I have inside of me. I have, I, you know, I have at my disposal all the resources of heaven if I just tap into them in terms of relationship. If I acknowledge God in all my ways, if I recognize that he wants to partner with me in my relationships, whether that be with my colleagues, with my friends, with my children, with my spouse, God wants to partner with us. It's a partnership. Healthy relationships start with partnering with the Lord. He gives us the blueprint. He's given us the blueprint right here. And that's a resource that we have as followers of Jesus Christ that is invaluable. It is a thing that will make the difference between um, unhealthy and healthy. Good relationships, bad relationships, or good relationships. It's God's word. We have the tools. We have the blueprint. Apart from God, apart from his word, my efforts are futile. But when I honor him and I make the effort to make him the central focus of my relationships, these same relationships have the potential to grow and to develop as God designed them to be. Can you say amen? Amen. Guaranteed success, well, not necessarily as as far as as the world defines success, but as God defines success, yes, I believe it. we do have some guarantee of that because relationships are a two-way street 
we can't guarantee, right, what the other person, how the other person is going to respond, how, what, what they're going to do, what they're, what they're gonna, how they're going to treat me, all of that. Because relationships are a two-way street. But the scripture says, Romans 12, verse 18, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And this is a great passage to look at about how to treat those, even those who would seek to harm us or hurt us. God measures success not on people's responses toward us, but on how we honor him by treating others with respect and dignity, even those who would seek to hurt or harm us. That's how God measures success in terms of, my, in terms of relationship. What would it look like? What would it look like for you today? What would it look like for me today if we really acknowledged Christ in all our relationships and in our homes, in every sphere of our lives? This familiar saying up here um, is on the screen. We've probably seen it uh, in homes in different places. Christ is the head of the house, the unseen guest at every meal, the silent listener to every conversation. What would it look like if we really believed that and acted on it in our homes, in our conversations, in our attitudes, in our actions, if we realized that Christ was right there with us, right there partnering with us. So partnership with God. He wants to partner with us. We can lean on him. We can trust in him. We have the blueprint. We have everything we need. Secondly, practice peace. Practice peace. This is kind of part of, the, part of the how in terms of that do-it-yourself project, the how, how to get there. And we have great examples in Scripture. Maybe there's other examples of, of people of faith in your own life that have been great peacemakers. They just knew how to, how to, how to be people who practiced peace. Walls can come up in relationships, right? We've all seen those walls get erected in our relationships. Jesus came to destroy walls. He came to destroy barriers, to remove those barriers that keep us from knowing God, knowing each other, and and having deep relationships, living in true relationship. So Jesus came to break down the walls. Uh, Ephesians 2 verse 14 says, for he himself is our peace. He has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of God's household. What an awesome thing that Christ has done. He's made the two groups one. It's going back to that division, the dividing wall of hostility that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. And there were social barriers, religious barriers, so many barriers there that only... Christ, through his sacrificial death on the cross, could destroy and bring wholeness and, and bring unity in the, even in the midst of diversity. See, we're a diverse group out here. And you know that it's so beautiful, and I've said this before, when God takes a diverse group of people and causes unity um, in the midst of diversity to flow, not conformity, but unity, and I think that's beautiful. And how God does that is, and wh- how God can do that is because Christ has gone before us and he's divided, he's broken down the barriers. He's made it possible. And yet, though he's made it possible, uh, while he's opened the door for, for, for unity and reconciliation, 
he leaves us with the task of working it out on earth as it is in heaven. You want to see what, you, what heaven, a taste of heaven really looks like? Seek greater unity, gr- uh, more healthy relationships in your life. You're going to see it. You're going to have a taste of heaven because I believe that's what Christ came to do. May he made it possible. There's a great uh, word from the devotion today. If you get the devotion from the church, they, they're out in the foyer, and I encourage you to get those. Pastor refers to them a lot. I, li- I love the daily devotions that come out of that. But today's devotion had to do with peacemaking. And it says, God has promised to bless peacemakers, not peace lovers. Peacemakers pay the price. Peace lovers enjoy the benefits. You and I, you and I are called to be peacemakers in our homes and in our community. Yeah, so, you know, he, he, sometimes I just want to enjoy the benefits of the peace. And sometimes I don't, that's why I avoid conflict because I settle for a false peace instead of uh, t- working toward a healthy resolution. God is a, God is a peacemaker. Christ br- brought down the walls to make the two one and he calls us to do the same, to be peacemakers, not simply peace lovers. So just some, something to think about, to reflect on. What what would be some walls in your own life that need to be rebuilt and to be restored? In terms of relationships, think, some, think of some walls that are in disrepair in your life. How could you take on more of a peacemaker role in that situation, in that relationship? Let's think of partnering with God in that way and being peacemakers as we look at Nehemiah, who I think is a great example and gives some great, um, tr- he has some great uh, characteristics of, his, of, of what he did when he went to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. Now, it's not directly speaking about relationships, but here's the thing. God knows that few of us need Nehemiah's example in order to build a physical wall right? We're, few of us are in that line of business. But he did, however, know that we need real-life examples of how to keep building when we face an enemy who's constantly trying to tear down our homes and our relationships. We need those real-life examples. So think of relationships in terms of walls that may need to be rebuilt and restored and then look at, look at some things that Nehemiah did. When he goes to Jerusalem or when he when he uh, hears the news from Jerusalem about the destruction. And so he goes, as a cupbearer to the king, he goes to the king and he says, uh, I want to go and, and see how my people are doing. And so he actually has the favor of the king. He goes to Jerusalem and he, he surveys the damage. And this is what I, this is, we can pick this up in, verse, uh, in chapter, two of Nehemiah, chapter 2 of Nehemiah. He gathers some leaders around him after he surveys the damage, and he says to them, You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we'll no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, Let us start rebuilding. 
So they began this good work, but when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked? Are you, rebuilding, are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We as servants will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. So Nehemiah faces this incredible task after he surveys the damage. But look what he does. Look at some things that he does here. And think about in terms of your relationships. He, first of all, he takes ownership. I love the prayer he prays. If you read in chapter 1, he confesses the sins of his people and he includes himself. He says, and myself included. And isn't that a big part of building healthy relationships, taking ownership, knowing uh, what you're what the part you've played in that relationship, in that problem, in that difficulty, in that, in that challenge that you've been having. Take ownership. No. Secondly, he knew he had God's favor. Go in. Can I encourage you today? No, go into your relationships knowing you have the favor of God on your life. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the favor of God. He wants to be with you in that. He wants to give you success. He wants to open doors in your relationships that will blow people around you away because it's Christ in you, the hope of glory that's going to shine through as you go out with God's favor. He said the good Lord of the hand was upon him. Then he surveyed the damage. Now this is not always easy, but it is an important thing to step back when we have a, when we have a relationship issue, to step back, survey the damage, survey it, look at it realistically. That's what Nehemiah did. He looked at it realistically. What is it going to take? Count the cost, uh, like we did painting the house uh, when, when it came to that project. But Nehemiah took time to look at the problem from every angle. He surveyed that damage. But then he didn't stop there. He saw the potential. He had a vision for, a, for a, a, a something new, something greater, for restoration. He had a vision for that. He had a dream for that. And uh, so let God fill you with hope. Let God fill you with a vision for wholeness in your relationships. Let's build. We can do this together. Then he gathered his support team. He, he, had, he didn't do, try to go at it alone. Who are the people in, that you need in your life that, that you need to invite them into your life for support? Maybe it's simply just accountability. Maybe it's a counselor. Maybe it's a mentor. Maybe it's... It's somebody that you need to, to surround you in your relationship. Uh, gather that support team. Don't try to go it alone. And then refuse to believe the lies of the enemy. Refuse to believe those lies of the opposition. He went through that task, that whole task of rebuilding the wall with opposition at every turn. But he stayed alert. Stay alert to the enemy's schemes. Uh, know that that's his one big thing that he loves to do is bring is attack relationships. He likes to bring division. That's his, that's his strategy. Know that. Stay alert and stay and watch. Have, and then finally, have a God will give us success attitude. That's, I love how, what Nehemiah he says to his opposition. He said, God will give us success. And having that attitude goes of, of Knowing that God is, we have the favor of God and that he will give us success goes a long way in enduring uh, strong, healthy relationships. 
So we're going to talk a little bit now about time together, and Eve's going to come up and share in this, uh, in this workshop, right? <laughs> yeah, and a little commercial here before we do key number three. Um, just because Tim gave me a shout-out, I want to return it. Um, because yeah, I, it was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears over the last nine years, but we did that as a family, and uh, Emma and Luke and Adrienne were all part of that, and mom and dad, also known as Sally and Wayne, were part of that. Um, I was gonna, in 2009, when I was gonna go back to school, I was gonna do that part-time and just take a couple classes. Emma was in second grade, Luke was in sixth, and Adrienne was in 10th, so we had just a lot of life and family happening and um, mom and dad said how about if we help with educating the kids uh, they were at the charter school here in town that had like two two days on campus and three days of homeschool I think it was how about if we help with the homeschool days and uh, I said oh that sounds like a deal I'll take you up on it and mom taught Emma and dad taught Luke and yeah big team effort so um, yeah I I thank you guys all for just, yeah, investing in me so I could get this done and, yeah, cheering me on. It takes a village. I think that's a book or a something somewhere, but it's a true story, too. Um, yeah, so number three, the time, right? Calculating the time it takes. Tim's talking about this, this painting project, and... This weekend right here was one of the few weekends that we had thought we had cleared to maybe paint the house. But we didn't know that my test date was gonna come up on Thursday, um, and this date wasn't set either at that time, and so actually this, these last days were full. Uh, we, we wouldn't have had time to paint the house even if we would have picked out that this would have been good. So budgeting our time, right? Figuring it out. And when it comes to relationships, sometimes it feels like it's going to take an overwhelming amount of time to do a good job with them. It's, it's too much. We don't have, have that much to give. And yeah, when it comes to our family, uh, Tim and I sometimes work 10 hour days and Emma's gone at school and then soccer and then youth group or whatever. It's the weekdays especially don't afford us a lot of quality time. It's just there's a lot of life going on. But when it comes to time invested in relationships, we want to look at it. Um, I'm going to encourage you to look at it in a little different way. Uh, Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. So that word devoted and that word honor there, I think, speak to the time that we're supposed to set, set aside for the relationships that matter to us. What I'm devoted to is what I'm going to spend time doing. And what, what I honor or who I honor is what I'm going to spend time and invest time in. There's a book called The Seven Principles of Making Marriage Work. Gottman and Silver are the authors. And I know we're talking about relationships overall, but I, I really like this book if you're looking for a good one, and I think there's some good stuff here. I feel like, you know, God's Word is the capstone. That's where we start. All truth is God's truth. But where do we come up with good books that people, humans, author? 
besides the Bible, you know, we've got God's truth, but then what do we have? These great ideas that are God ideas, a lot of them, that people say, you know what, this has impacted me, and I'm going to tell this story and un help unfold this for other people, and they write a book about it, and, you know, anyway, there's some good stuff out there. So, uh, one of the things that Gottman ha and Silver have done is they, in the book, outline empirical studies looking at emotionally intelligent marriages. Uh, a lot of times we think what emotions can be studied, love can be studied, those kinds of intangibles can be studied. Yes, we can research them, we can look at them, we can see what's working, what's not working. And of course, that kind of stuff is some of my favorite stuff. So uh, they say that emotionally intelligent marriages come about when positive thoughts and feelings outweigh the negative in relationships. Not rocket science, right? The positive has to outweigh the negative. Does the negative have to disappear completely? Is that possible? No. Okay. It just, we got to tip the scales on the positive end, all right? They've got something called the Love Lab up in Seattle. If you want to look it up, they actually, if you sign up for it, they're going to put pads on you. Just like if you go in for an EKG, you're going to have the pads. You're going to have all the wires. You sign up with your spouse to go into an apartment for the weekend, and they're going to watch you with cameras in all the common areas. Kind of scary, right? So as you're living life in the kitchen or in the living room or whatever, they're going to be looking, how's that conversation going? How is conflict resolution going? How's your heart rate? How's your blood pressure? All right? It's all this is all connected, people. That's, there's no boxes in here, okay? So anyway, Love Lab, uh, I'll sign you up if you want. I'll help you get there. Um, what Gottman says is happily married couples do not have less conflict or tension. Happily married couples do not have less conflict or tension, but they are able, are they, they are better able to repair it before it gets out of hand. Does that encourage anybody in the room? Okay, again, we can't completely 100% do away with the negative, but we're going to tip the scales for the side of positive. We're going to tip the scales for being better able to repair before things get out of hand. So we get to be the ones that are saying, you know what? I am getting upset or I am feeling blank, fill in the blank, and let's figure this out. Not the ones that say, what? Nope, nothing wrong here. Nope, we're all good. Who's all good? Okay, let's be honest. Authenticity says, no, there's some hard stuff going on, but we can deal with it. If we can have a good conversation, we can deal with it, right? Okay, they also say uh, in the book that the mythical assumption that marriage expectations are often overblown and lowering expectations of each other will help marriage is wrong. Do not lower your expectations. People with higher expectations of marriage have the highest quality of marriage, okay? So what we want to do is actually raise the bar, okay? We're, this, is, this is God's house. We are God's people. Let's be the ones that say, nope, there's a standard. We want God's standard. We want his truth and his principles working in our relationships, okay? So that people outside of here are being like, hmm, something's different. I can't quite put my finger on it, but what is it? And then you get to say, Oh, here's what it is. No, we're not perfect people. No, we've got a lot going on that we're working through.
but we're not alone in this. We're, we're doing marriage and family God's way with God's help. He didn't say, here's the blueprint, do it on your own. That would be me and Tim out there painting our house this morning before we came to church, right? No, he didn't say, you're on your own. He said, here, let me help you out. And that for me is super hopeful because I, as a counselor, I do see a lot of really desperate relationships and situations day after day after day. What's the, what's the hope? Why do I do it? Because the people walking in the door are the people saying, I'm ready to be real about where I'm at. And I'm ready to actually ask somebody to help and ask somebody to journey with me and ask somebody to help me find some tools and find some strategies. And that's exactly where we need to be in order to make the changes, right? That's, that's the spot to be in. Okay, so when it comes to time, um, I want us to think of relationship with a tithe principle, a lens of a tithe principle. In the Bible, tithe is talking about finances and resources. Back in the day, if I was a wheat farmer, it would be talking about 10% of the wheat I grew. In this day and age, it's talking about 10% of my paycheck, okay? So when it comes to relationships, what do we have? We have, okay, we have 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that's 168 hours total. A tithe of 168 is 16.8. Every day, that is 2.4. Okay, so 2.4 hours a day is what I'm looking for as far as tithing to my family. I just told you, weekdays, especially during the school year, it's crazy. Two and a half hours, how about two and a half minutes, right? Okay, of quality time. But there's... A meal, an evening meal, that's a big possibility. And if not, if it's after a game or after youth group or something, there's still time in the evening before bed, so there's something. Um, there's a, a principle of, I think this is the next screen here of the partying. Yeah, there we go. Okay. So this is what they call the magic five hours. So look at that list there. And you'll see that everything on the list is pretty major impact, minor as far as time commitment goes, okay? So partying is just that meaningful morning check-in, all right? We're going our separate ways. We're going to make sure we do that on the right foot. Reuniting. We're getting back together at the end of the day. We're going to have some conversations about what's been going on. Admiration and affirmation. What am I doing right? What have I done to make you smile? Appreciation. Gratitude is like pure gold. That's that chance of just showing a, a gratitude, saying something out of gratitude for the people in your home. Affection, say you love me, show me you love me. Is that a hug, a kiss, a pat on the bat, back, a cup of coffee? What, the, the ways you show love, right, in your home and to each other. So all of those are really scattered all along the way. That's all the salt and pepper, right, that's going to get sprinkled all throughout the week. If you spent an average of 30 minutes a day on all of those bits and pieces, again, they're low as far as the amount of time they take, but high impact because they make such a big difference, and then have that weekly date, which would be, say, two hours worth, and that would be with your spouse, with your kids, with whoever's in your house that you're wanting to invest time in. You're saying, we're going to set aside a chunk of time for family time for each other as a couple, for those, re those 
uh, important relationships. And all of that would add up to five hours a week. So most of us, if we had to carve out five hours and just set it aside, would say, not really possible. But if we can, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? We're just taking this thing in little bite-sized chunks because we want to be able to take something that needs doing and take it in that bite-sized piece that says, you know what, I can do this. It, it's not, it feels overwhelming if we think, oh, my relationships are in disrepair or they're strained or they're whatever. It feels super overwhelming. But if we can take it a piece at a time, it can feel less overwhelming. Um, one last little bit on the raise the bar piece. Uh, I just feel like, you know, it's important to say that the, the people you date are the people you marry. So if you're dating right now, if that's you, and you're not raising the bar, if you've lowered your bar as a person who is dating people that you're like, not quite, but it's okay, not quite, but it's okay. Well, let's just, you know, I don't know. I don't know, you know, kind of um, compromise or lower the bar, lower our standard. The, the person you marry might be that same person, if that makes sense. So go ahead and raise the bar, date the kind of people that you wanna marry, and make sure that that's the standard that holds so that you actually get to marry someone that's gonna, gonna yeah, be the person that God has for you. Okay, um, the other thing that's encouraging on this is um, to know that the time piece is that you can affect big change. Again, it's a small thing, but it's high impact, and that would be screen time. Now, I, I don't want to step on toes, but actually I do want to step on toes because this is super important, okay? If you look up some of the statistics on how much time we're spending on devices, some demographics, which I won't point out because, anyway, they will take offense, 16 hours a day. 16 hours a day on a device, okay? So if, you ha if I'm in relationship with you, and that's an important relationship. And you say, you say that uh, my relationship with you is important too. So this is going both ways. But there's a device instead of your eyes or a device instead of your attention or a device instead of your time or your conversation. What's the message for me? Yeah. So that's more important than me. Okay? So the, my, my recommendation on that is... Set them aside at mealtimes, no devices at the table, leave them out of the bedroom 100%, and leave them out of quiet time, okay? Jesus deserves better, your spouse deserves better, your kids deserve better. They're more important than the device, right? And password go like this, okay? You got to touch your ear if you want somebody to say something, right? Right, because what? That there's so much going on right there on that screen, Okay, at the end of the day, is that screen in relationship with you? No. It doesn't care if you pick it up and look at it or not. But the people in your home do care if they get picked up and looked at. Okay, all right, enough said there. Um, or should I go on? I don't know. We got the point, right? Okay, good. Okay, so now what we want to look at is key number four. We're ready to pack our toolbox. Okay. If you have a toolbox at home, uh, women have toolboxes, so I'm not saying guys or girls. If you have a kitchen drawer or kitchen cupboard at home, 
full of good kitchen tools. Guys have them too, so whoever you are out there. Do you want the KitchenAid mixer or the little handheld one that blows up when you're trying to do the cookie batter because it's too thick, you know? Do you want the Black & Decker power saw or do you want the rusty handsaw that cramps your hand and you have to saw for six hours to get through the piece of wood? You know what I'm saying? Like, let's pick the tools that work well. Let's pick the power tools and let's go with quality when it comes to our relationships. So what would that be? What would that look like? That's, that means you're at this point gonna need to look at your toolbox. What are some of the strategies and tools that I use? Are, do they line up with God's word? Do they line up with what he says, this is what your relationship needs? Or did I pull them out of a hat somewhere? Are they working? Or is, is my family needing something else or something different? Those kinds of things, okay? James 1, 22 to 24. Um, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And I feel like this speaks to us saying, yeah, we, we get to come here every Sunday and sometimes in between we have quiet time, we have study time, we have other kinds of study options. It's not enough to read the word or memorize the word and know the word. That's the first step. But then what are we supposed to do? We're actually supposed to do it. Yeah, we got to apply it. So you, you take the tool, you take the KitchenAid, you make some cookies, right? You got something's supposed to be done with it. Who has a KitchenAid that collects a lot of dust because it doesn't get used a lot? Anybody? No? Oh, I thought I was going to walk away with the KitchenAid today. No, just joking. Um, but yeah, there are, we do, we do end up with good tools sometimes that we just don't use. And so this might be a challenge today for you just to put it back in use. Something that you already have in there. It might be something that you need to add. There also might be something that you need to take out of there. Let's look at um, Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And I think justice, mercy, and humility, as this verse outlines, what, what does the Lord require of you? Again, if we're thinking of, oh, these relationships that need repair and need all this work and all these things, that feels kind of overwhelming, right? Or can. But if we go back to and just kind of keep it simple, like it says here in Micah, are we able to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly? Not that those are, oh, that's easy. Yeah, so easy to be humble. So easy to be merciful. Not like that, but in the sense of if that's what God is saying, okay, this is what I require, and, and here are some of the basics. What if I looked through my toolbox and got rid of a bunch of old, rusty stuff I don't use anyway and just got back to the basics and got back to what works? So that, that idea of saying, okay, Holy Spirit, you can, you can work on this. I know there's a lot of work to be done. What needs to go? And then what are you going to give me in its place? 
And uh, as the worship team comes, I would like you to just reflect for a minute. Uh, I, I wanted to share a little story, actually, as they come, um, where when I was talking about being doers of the word, not just hearers, how there was a woman at my house, some friends at my house, actually, in Tajikistan when we lived there. And um, uh, what I asked them to do was to go tell their husbands or make sure they told their husbands what we were doing at my house. And that's because we were having a Bible study, and it's a Muslim country, and I didn't want them to lie and say they were like, I'm going to Eve's to make brownies or whatever. You know, we did that sometimes too. But, um, but I wanted them to tell the truth so that they wouldn't get in trouble and that I wouldn't uh, be looked at in a negative way. And so when Nuri is my friend's name, that means light, when she came back the next week, she said, oh, I told my husband, and he's all good with it. He's fine. And I said, oh, okay, great, you know, and what did he say? And she said, well, he said, I like what I see. I'm fine with you studying the Bible and studying with Eve because I like the changes that I see. And so that, for me, that verse always reminds me of Nuri. She was hearing the word and doing it. She would go home and change something. She would hear and she'd go home and try again, tweak something else, and her husband said, I like what I see. He didn't even know it was Jesus. She wasn't even a Christian then yet. So it was just her using God's word as truth. That's the blueprint for relationship. And um, I just feel like there's, as, as the worship team starts to play and you start to reflect, um, I feel like we're supposed to, everybody just look inside and, you know, let the Holy Spirit help you decide. I feel like there might be a coffee date that gets set up or a phone call that gets made or a text that gets sent to set that emotion, but that today would be the day to walk out and decide to do something. Not about every relationship in your life that needs repair, not about every conversation that needs to be had, but which one? Where does the Lord want you to start? because he's always got that plan. He's he's the king of do-it-yourself projects, and he's not making us do it on our own. He's saying, let's do it together. Here's the plan. Let's partner together. You be the person of peace. He's saying those things to us today. And one one tool that I, there's a, there's a lot. We This is another sermon maybe, but uh, one thing that I think if we could take out, I feel like the Lord... Um, showed me that shame is something that should be removed from our toolboxes. It's it's not useful. It's super heavy. It's old. It's rusty. Pointless. Whatever you did or have done or are doing, yeah, there's there's bad choices. I made a bad choice. Yes, that happened. But that, that's not you. It doesn't define you. You're not a bad person. It was a bad choice. And there's forgiveness. There's redemption. And that's the absolutely amazing thing about doing relationship God's way and doing family God's way is I don't have to do it by myself. I'm not left to my own devices. And I don't have to figure out how to right all the wrongs because he pours in his grace. So if shame is one of the things that you've kept in there, let's get that out of there today. Let's
turn that over to Jesus and let him pour in some grace and pour in just his, his answers, his wisdom. We actually, as humans, don't have enough wisdom to navigate all this. But we have the Holy Spirit on our side. We're not left alone. And, and yeah, like the verse we read earlier, as, as much as it's up to me, I, I have a part to play. So whatever that is, whatever it is the Holy Spirit speaks to you today, will you step out in obedience and do that? Will you make that call or set up that appointment, have that conversation? Because relationships in disrepair can, can weigh us down, can trip us up or distract us. There's a lot of things they do that really aren't productive just because that's not the way God meant it to be. Okay, so let's take, as the music plays and before we start to sing, just some moments to reflect. And Tim and I and others from the prayer team are going to meet you at the altar. If you do want prayer around something specific, we'd love to pray with you. And we, we are hopeful. That's why we had fun doing this message today. We're hopeful for relationships that reflect Jesus' love and reflect that hope. And, and that's how, as individuals and as a family and as a body, as this church body, we can impact this community and the world beyond. It's that I don't know, I can't quite put my finger on it, but there's something different about the way you do relationships. What, what is that? And that's, it's Jesus. So let, let, let that, and I pray that that would be our light as a body that authenticity too that says we we don't have it all dialed in we don't have it all figured out but we can actually be real about when we're hurting we can actually be real about what's going on and find healing and find wholeness so let's reflect for a minute join us for prayer if you'd like